Hold up. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Sports Wrap-Up. My name is JR, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, the marvelous Joey Thompson. How you doing, Marv? I'm doing great, JR. Just hanging in there. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great. It's my favorite day of the week. We're, we're rolling the show. We're really excited to get going here, folks. But uh, before we do, I want to mention that I have joined the Twitter sphere along with Marv, so you can follow us. Uh, I'm at JR Sports Wrap Up. Marv is at Wrap Up underscore Marv. We're also on Facebook as well, the Sports Wrap Up podcast. And you can go ahead, if you would, and you're listening, please give us a review on iTunes or wherever you may be listening. We are on all major podcast platforms. Oh, and I can't forget to remind everyone this podcast is brought to you by Ringer. That's R-I-N-G-R dot com forward slash wrap up to go ahead and get a podcast started today for 25% off. So don't delay. Go ahead and get that started. And we won't delay. We're going to get into the show here. I want to start the show with this. I'm giving up on the Cleveland Browns. And it's not for the reasons that you may think. It's not for the reason that they lost at Denver. I kind of saw that coming. We didn't have it in our picks for the week. Marv didn't have it in his picks. But I kind of saw the Browns tripping up and screwing that up, even though the future looked bright for them at the time. Easier part of the schedule. Everyone was predicting the Browns are going to go 10-6 and now. They're going to win out the rest of their games. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Not so fast. They overlooked the Broncos. That's always a tough place to play. So that's not why I'm giving up on the Browns. It'd also be a very valid reason to give up on the Browns due to the trade debacle that happened this week. Keep a long story short, the general manager of the Washington Redskins called up and said, hey, our Hall of Fame left tackle Trent Williams is available now. And remember when you offered us that first round pick? Yeah, we'll do a second now. The Browns general manager, John Dorsey, is so full of himself and immature, he told him to, you know what, F off. (laughs) And so Marv's laughing, but it's true. It was very immature and very childish because without a doubt, you need to protect your number one overall pick. You need to protect your franchise quarterback. You need him to succeed or else this whole thing, this whole compilation of talent is a complete waste and you're back to the beginning where you don't have a quarterback. But that isn't the reason that that isn't the reason why I'm giving up on the Cleveland Browns. The reason I'm giving up on the Cleveland Browns stems from a tweet from Baker Mayfield. He got into a verbal argument with a reporter. He basically canceled the rest of the questions because he was frustrated and then he took to Twitter Based, based on the reporter saying that he's being emotional, then I'll leave out the details and I'll bring you the important part. That's what we do here on the Sports Wrap-Up. We bring you the important part. Keep it skinny to get it done quick so you can get your hour's worth of news in quickly. Here's what Baker said. This is the important quote to me. This is why I'm giving up on the Cleveland Browns. He said, I am who I am and always have been. Sounds like always will be. To me, I'm filling in the blanks there, but that's what it sounds like. But the direct quote is, I am who I am and always have been. Baker kind of sounds like a guy who's talking about his glory days in college and drinking beers and talking about having fun. Now, if you want to be elite in an elite business, that to me is not an attitude that you take in to the workplace. I am who I am and I always have been. Hmm. I wonder if that's how Steve Jobs thought when he made the iPhone. You know, those cell phones, uh, I have always had the same cell phone and a computer cell phone sounds stupid. I am who I am and always have been. So I'm going to keep making computers. Or maybe Elon Musk, very successful guy. Gasoline cars have always been gasoline. So making a whole vehicle line based on electric, eh, I am who I am and always have been. So I'm going to stick to my other projects or How about the Wright brothers? Flying, taking off in airplanes. Eh, You know, we've always kind of taken horses and cars. Eh, We'll just stick to that. I am who I am, and I'm going to keep working on that. Or maybe Alexander Graham Bell, inventor of the telephone. Yeah, we've always kind of sent telegrams. Eh, that, That should be fine. No, none of these people did that. And these are all people that we remember in history and will remember for the rest of time. The problem that I have with Baker Mayfield is he's the exact opposite of somebody who 
is successful in the way that he thinks. It's not so much the way he's playing on the field. It's his second season. Teams have figured him out on tape. They know what to do to him, and he needs to adjust on that. And his third season will really be the telltale. And I, and I, again, I do think he's going to do better this season. I still stand by the fact that the Browns are going to finish about 9-7. and seven. They're going to go on a run. I do think that they're going to do it. I think they're going to get out of their own way in doing that. But with that being said, oh, it's looking really bad for the Cleveland Browns going forward with him as their quarterback. Sam Darnold's in the ear of Adam Gay saying, what was Peyton Manning like? How can I change? How can I become like Peyton? And all these successful guys out there, even if they're struggling, even if they're having trouble like Sam, I am much more going to saddle my cart to that horse than I am to somebody who says, I am who I am, and that's just what it's going to be. Marv, I know we've been high on the Cleveland Browns in terms of a compilation of talent, a great roster. Baker Mayfield, a very accurate quarterback. I'm not denying that. He has a lot of skills in terms of where he can be successful. With that being said, how do you feel about the Cleveland Browns now with all the, for lack of better words, shambles that they've left their season in sitting at two and six right now? I'm highly disappointed in the Cleveland Browns. I expected a lot from the Cleveland Browns. I was one of the few that went out on limb and said, I think the Cleveland Browns will finish 10 and six and possibly win the AFC North. I saw them as the strongest team from top to bottom as the most talented team in that division. And they've just been a big letdown. Uh, I, I really don't know where to go with it. I honestly thought they would beat the Broncos, even though in the back of my head, I was like, well, you know, there was, uh, uh, what's it called? The, um, big question marks at quarterback for the Broncos. So I didn't know if the Broncos or which Broncos team is going to show up on Sunday. So I was thinking, well, maybe here's where the Cleveland Browns get it started. Denver. And continue their, I think their remaining schedule was like 32, the teams were like .328 in winning percentage, so it was really bad. So meaning they have the easiest schedule other than the Jets remaining schedule-wise. So everything was pointing towards the Cleveland Browns making a comeback, which you mentioned earlier. And that's what I thought. And watching them Sunday, they still were making the same mistakes. They look so dysfunctional on offense. On defense, they blew a lot of coverages. I mean, not to mention they have, they lack discipline. Look what, um, their starting safety decided after the game to go on a racist Twitter rant. I mean, they've lost control of everything. The Browns are just a complete utter mess. And I don't know what else to say, but I've lost complete faith in that team. And I think they're heading towards possibly a six and 10 season at this rate. And they're going to continue to implode until they finally decide to start making some head heads roll in the front office or find a new head coach and offensive coordinator and possibly defensive coordinator because they need some guys that'll hold these guys accountable. They're too talented to be so bad. I, I just don't get it. I, I, I'm really disappointed in the Browns. I think the number one thing that we overlooked in our evaluation of the Browns, and a lot of people did, we 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 kept our expectations realistic. Browns are going to be nine and seven, just missed the playoffs, and they very. I'm not stepping aside from that prediction. I think that there's a good chance eight and eight, nine and seven going forward. They're going to right the ship even still. Denver's a tough place to play. You of all people know that, Marv. It's it's one of the toughest places to play in the league, even when the Broncos are bad. It's an embarrassing loss still with Brandon Allen taking his first NFL snaps. The Browns, who need to win the game, lose. But back to what I was saying, the part that we overlooked was the coaching. Freddie Kitchens is not capable and not equipped to be a head coach. He was a position coach. He was a running back, running backs coach. And then he went on to be a coordinator for eight games, and then he's head coach. He doesn't know how to utilize these players. He doesn't know how to balance his responsibilities of being CEO of the team on field and also call plays like he used to and get Odell Beckham involved, who's new to the team. I mean, Odell Beckham on your fourth and two is running wide open. Baker didn't know to look at him. That tells me he's not his first or maybe not even a second option. There's debate whether Baker's a one or two read quarterback. He may be a two read quarterback and he may have not just gotten there in his read and his progression. But 
how do you not set up your best play to your best player in that situation? That to me is a failure of coaching. How is your quarterback regressing so badly? Failure of coaching. Because we all know and we've all seen Baker Mayfield came into the NFL, threw for 27 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. The guy can play football. Other coaches have figured out what he's bad at and try to make him do that on defense. Now, it is the coach's responsibility as well as Baker's to adjust to that. And I have two people, Baker Mayfield said it on Twitter, not really to, really willing to adjust. I am who I am. And a coach who's unable to facilitate that adjustment or encourage it. So I think that's the biggest problem for the Browns going forward. Is there any way that the Browns can salvage the season, Marvin, make the playoffs? Do you think that they have a chance there? I mean, I think that percentage of salvaging this season is really low. There is a small percentage, but I mean, the way things are going, I really don't see them turning the ship around. And with all the dysfunction that's going on and they're losing control of how the players are reacting and having PR disasters daily, I just don't see it happening. I really don't. And I'm normally positive about things, but I I just don't see any green, you know, any any light at the end of the tunnel for them this season. Yeah, there's no organizational structure, and for Baker to improve is really looking dim. Um, I, I don't think Baker Mayfield's going to be a bust in the NFL. I still think he's going to be a very serviceable quarterback. He has to change some things. But the thing that I will say about him to wrap this point up, Marv, is, and I want to know if you agree or disagree, the biggest problem with Baker Mayfield. And the biggest disservice that's ever happened to him in his life is being the number one overall draft pick in the NFL. And here's why. He was incredibly successful with the chip on his shoulder underdog role. Now he's very, let's call it verified as I am who I am and I can be who I am instead of having to, that chip on his shoulder, trying to improve, trying to evolve. It kind of forced him to do it. It was against his personality I would say, but it forced him to always be working harder, working smarter to the best of his abilities. Now he's away from that coaching in college that made him, let's not forget, two-time walk-on in college, walked on to Texas Tech, then walk on to Oklahoma, get, ends up getting the starting job and performs really well. Well, Lincoln Riley shows up and he's showing that he could do that with a lot of quarterbacks uh, in a lot of different situations. Jalen Hurts certainly looked like uh, somebody who didn't have an NFL future at all, and then he goes to Lincoln Riley, and people are wondering if he's going to be at the end of the first round. Marv, agree or disagree, the biggest disservice to ever happen to Baker Mayfield that he was the number one pick in the NFL draft? I think so. Uh, they put too much pressure on his shoulders. Uh, they basically anointed him the king of the city. And so I think with that, that uh, placing him so high up in the totem pole, that's placed a lot of pressure on his shoulders and that this is this is a result of all that pressure that's on him because he gave the, the Browns a little glimmer of hope last season. I believe he won, what, six games last year? So, I mean, when he came in and started doing that, the expectations were skyrocketed, especially once they added uh, Odell Beckham. Everyone was already calling Super Bowl. So, I mean... I feel that it was a disservice for him. And if had he, let's say, been drafted by the Arizona Cardinals or even the Denver Broncos, but I think even in Denver it would have been a similar situation because of what's going on right now with the quarterback position. But I think if he would have been drafted by the Cardinals or the Giants, then I don't think the expectations would have been skyrocketed like they are now in Cleveland for, you know, uh, uh, a win-starved franchise. And they've been craving for a winning franchise for years, and then they got a little taste of it, and now they expect nothing less. And I think that's what's affecting his play because he, he, he feels that every play he has to make a big play, and it's turning out to be turnover after turnover, and that's just been – it's been really bad. I feel bad for the guy. Yeah, and I think the issue, the only thing that could save me on switching back to being on the Cleveland Browns bandwagon, if you will, is the fact of a new coach. I think that could turn something around. But the Browns have proven over and over again that they are incapable of putting sufficient, just sufficient, but above average would be nice, but sufficient management 
and sufficient coaching into place. And until they can do that, I am completely out on the Cleveland Browns. One of the great things about this show and and being a lifelong learner, unlike Baker Mayfield, is that I'm willing to come on the show and, and say I'm wrong. Like I, I kind of predicted the Browns would be a little bit better than they are, and, and they're not. And so uh, I'll have a takes and opinions, and sometimes I'll, I'll change it up and, and come on and, and, and tell you I'm wrong. Or, or I'll keep defending myself and, and, and the reasons why. And I think that brings a lot of value. And you guys come back and talk and agree and disagree with me. And Marv agrees and disagrees with me. But on that note, I've never understood the dualistic views of fans. Like it's an either or. Like I was growing up, I, I grew up to be a uh, Bears fan. My, my dad was a Bears fan. And now I consider myself much more of a uh, observer with a rooting interest at times. I just really appreciate the game and I, I love watching it. Being a Bears fan, you're, you, you grow up and you're supposed to be somebody who hates the Packers. Like the Packers suck. Well, the Packers don't suck. So I'm not going to say that. Um, it's just because it's just not true. And, and the thing about it is I can say I don't like Lamar Jackson long term. That's, that's one thing, but I also can say, yeah, I like Lamar Jackson like I did last week on the show. I like the Ravens to beat the Patriots, and they did. There, there's two sides to the story at all times, and I, I try to bring value in, in talking about that. So I'm willing to admit to you, perhaps, maybe maybe I could be wrong on Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson is looking really good. That team comes out, they have an identity, they come out and play bully ball, and they really knock you around. And, and they've been very successful in, in doing so. But... With that being said, I'm not ready to admit that I was wrong on Lamar Jackson. And here's why. It was very easy to predict that the Baltimore Ravens were going to come out and beat up the Patriots. The Patriots had played nobody. We talked about their schedule last week. It was really bad. And that's to no fault of their team. They took care of business. You still got Brady and Belichick, six Super Bowls. So this game specifically to the Patriots doesn't concern me. But the Ravens will come out and, as I said, smack you in the mouth. And, the, and it was a big wake-up call for the Patriots. Lamar beats the heck out of teams the first time that he plays them. He always has. But let's not let it go unnoticed that they scored 17 points, go up 17-0. to After that, in the next three quarters, Lamar has a total of 23 rushing yards for three quarters. And he, this is a guy who's averaging over 100 rushing yards per game. What does that tell you? Bill Belichick really figuring him out after that one big quarter. Things are starting to taper off. A little bit concerning. Uh, also, Harbaugh's 10 and 2 off a bye. That's really good. I had a really good coach that I, somebody who's in the class to me of Andy Reid and Bill Belichick. Harbaugh's going to win, beat the Patriots. But let's not overreact here. Here's the thing going back to that record for Lamar Jackson. He is 12 and four in his career, including the playoffs. That is a great record. Doing really well in the NFL. Can't deny that. But the big caveat is he is 0 three when facing a franchise for the second time. He went in last year and steamrolled just much like he did to the Patriots. He went in and steamrolled the Chargers. Guess what happened? The Chargers play them in the playoffs. They're playing at Baltimore. Lamar Jackson had, I can't remember if the number was six or it was eight. He had six or eight passing yards entering the fourth quarter. What does that tell you? They figured out the offense. The next time you play him, they know what to do. So the issue is not what Lamar Jackson and this offense can do to you the first time. It's what are they going to do the second time? This is not something that you can prepare for by just having a scout team pretend to be Lamar Jackson, this is something that you have to experience and make adjustments and know what to do with your specific personnel because you do not have the same personnel as any other team. You do not have the same scheme as any other team. So it's saying, how can we put our scheme together to match up how to stop this scheme? That's what the NFL is all about. It's very individualistic in terms of how teams operate in those ways. Some are similar. It's a copycat league. People borrow, but everybody has... This team has a faster left outside linebacker. This team has a better middle linebacker. Everything is different. I have to say this. I may be wrong about Lamar Jackson because of the organizational structure, because of the commitment to Lamar Jackson, 
because of the commitment to the style of offense that suits him. That could be the reason that I'd be willing to buy just a little bit of Lamar Jackson stock, that little bit of Bitcoin to take the risk and diversify my portfolio. But to me, the story is not Lamar Jackson just yet. It's the excellence of the Baltimore Ravens and John Harbaugh, their ability and willingness to adjust to Lamar. And I have Lamar is a great kid, and he's really the opposite of Baker. He comes out, they're six and two, and said, We didn't we didn't do much just yet. We got a lot more to do. I like that attitude. So I commend Lamar Jackson for having that attitude and that spirit towards the game. I'll buy just a little bit, Marv. Now you've been a big Ravens uh proponent, a big Lamar Jackson proponent on the show. I maybe got a little bit ahead of myself and saying, How do you feel about it now, Marv? Are you gonna sell all your stock? Maybe a little cocky. Uh, Lamar's looking really good through the first eight games, through the first half of the season. I see a lot of potential future success in the regular season, but I do not see this being sustainable in long term. Marv, am I wrong on this? Do you think I'm wrong? I mean, you aren't wrong. Um, but what I think is with Lamar, as long as he keeps evolving his game, and keeps adding different layers to his game, it'll make it harder for teams to defend him. If he just constantly does the same thing over and over again, again, teams like Chargers, for example, the second time when he faced the Chargers, they'll learn your tendencies and then they'll take away what you like to do best and then it's over. So as long as they, the Ravens keep evolving their offensive and keep, keep getting creative with what they do, then... Lamar Jackson will continue to thrive. But we'll see. I like Harbaugh. Harbaugh has been able to adjust, as we see. With time, Harbaugh is able to come up with a really good game plan and attack your weaknesses. So I was really impressed at what I saw on Sunday night. I kind of was on the fence about it, even though, you know, I love Lamar Jackson. I was one of the few people that drafted him basically in every single one of my fantasy football leagues, which I'm currently winning in all of them basically because of Lamar Jackson. So I was a big Lamar Jackson hater while he was in college. I didn't know what to expect of him when he came into the NFL, but like anything else, he grew on me. And I think if he continues to keep the same attitude he's had all season and last season and continues to thrive to get better, then the sky's the limit for Lamar Jackson. And I and I, I think if they continue, like I said, to evolve the offense, they could be a threat in the playoffs. But if they don't, then we'll have the same, uh, we'll have the same results as last season when they went and lost in the first round of the playoffs. So we'll see as the season goes. But so far in the first eight games, Lamar Jackson has been exceptionally good. I think the big thing here is that, yes, he's been exceptionally good. It's a big learning experience for you and I and for our listeners. Here's the deal. Baker Mayfield, going back to our first segment, is the more talented quarterback on the field. You and I acknowledge that. And you and I both very much disliked Lamar Jackson coming out of college, his inaccuracy, his issues uh, in throwing the football. There was no doubt about it in college. So it's like, how can it get any better in the pros? The big Issue lesson learned here is that coaching is really important. You have Lamar Jackson with a fantastic coach in the elite class of coaches right now, a Super Bowl winning coach, somebody who's able to adapt and change, who was willing to adapt and change the whole offense to Lamar Jackson, which most coaches would not have had the foresight to do that. I didn't have the foresight to think that be possible to create this kind of wildcat throwing offense something different than we've completely seen that completely different than we've ever seen before so that is really something so we have to acknowledge the coaching but when you look at he doesn't have the skills but he has the coaching and he has the attitude like you talked about like I talked about and to me it's a learning experience because I'm looking at it right now. And yeah, I don't like Lamar Jackson a lot still. I'm going to buy a little bit little, with, with caution. I'm sitting here, Marv. You get your choice of quarterbacks today. Who are you going to take? 
Lamar Jackson, at the, at this rate, he's the best young prospect in the NFL right now. He has the speed, he has the arm, and he's willing to work work with you. So I like that kind of uh, quarterback. I like a guy who can come in and he's he's you know like a student of the game and he's willing to get better. And that's kind of attitude you look for in a quarterback. Uh, first, I would say upset Baker Mayfield, but you know with the attitude he's been giving and he's not willing to listen, that doesn't work in today's NFL. You gotta be willing to listen and uh, and take criticism and be able to implement that on the field when your coaches direct you. So I would take Lamar Jackson in this. I like Lamar. Yeah, I'm not psyched about taking either, but I'm going to have to agree with you and take Lamar Jackson because in the NFL, we don't have, as media and as fans, I should, let me go back, as media and as fans, we do not have the insights that NFL teams do. So we can project people as prospects. And as a prospect, Baker Mayfield was a better prospect than Lamar Jackson. But people are people. They're not prospects. And it is important where they end up. Where do you end up at a company? Where do you end up with an NFL franchise? One clearly ended up in the better NFL franchise, who's complimented his skills, created stability for him, created an environment where he could succeed. And one guy ended up in the toxic environment, who's brought out his bad tendencies his disadvantages. Make no mistake, we, we all have advantages in life and we all have disadvantages in life. Uh, a lot of people are smart in one area and not as smart in others. And that's, that's all of us. But the issue is how, do, how does our leadership and the company that we work for bring it out of us? And the thing with these two is, yeah, I still stand by the fact that Baker Mayfield is a better prospect than Lamar Jackson, but they're past prospects and Lamar Jackson looking like he may actually be the better quarterback going forward. But I say that with caution, and I say that with the idea that this is the story of John Harbaugh. This is not the story so much of Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson should deserve a lot of the credit, but Harbaugh deserves the majority, the lion's share of it, and he's really not getting it. He's been long overlooked as a coach, and that to me is really the story here. Marv, I got to ask you this question to wrap it up. My concern is going forward. We've seen the Wildcat offense. We've seen Colin Kaepernick take the league by storm as this new breed of dual threat quarterback. And my fear is that's exactly what Lamar is going back to that record, 12 and four. But when he faces you again, the second time, 0 and three. And the Patriots, they figured him out in one quarter. I'm willing to bet big bucks next time. I bet on the Ravens this time. I'm willing to bet big money. The Patriots are going to beat him next time. Are you concerned about the sustainability of this offense going forward? I mean, I am a bit concerned. Um, I'm hoping, like I mentioned before, that they evolve the offense as the season progresses and have a few more trips tricks up their sleeve. But if they're going to run and play the Patriots again in the playoffs and run with the same offense, then, of course, it's going to be a Patriots win by a, by a mudslide or, or by a large margin because Bill Belichick, as we all know, is Bill Belichick. He, while you're playing checkers, he's playing chess. So he already is one step ahead of you, and he's always coming up ways of shutting down offenses altogether. So I hope for the sake of the Ravens, if you know they make uh some noise and finish let's say twelve and four this season or eleven and five, whichever so be it, and get a, a first round bye and have to go to New England in the cold, hopefully they have something new set up for the Patriots. If not, it's gonna be a blowout. Yeah, I'm definitely, as I said, I bet the Ravens the first time, and then I will definitely be betting the Patriots the next time. I don't even need to see the line. Well, I do. I'm just kidding. But straight up, the Patriots all the way. The Patriots were really on the on the move, ready to take the lead, and you had an Edelman fumble first time in three years. That's just kind of fluky. So it, it was already within striking distance, and that touchdown, that run-back touchdown really 
sealed the game for the Ravens and changed the trajectory of what was going on there. So it'll be it'll certainly be interesting and exciting in either case if they do indeed face off in the playoffs. I'm looking forward to it. Lamar is whether you like him or not for the future. He is a very fun watch as are Tom Brady and the Patriots. Always a classic. I want to shift to this next segment. We have a new one called Quick Hitters. There's a lot of stories going on in the NFL. They're not huge stories, but they're very interesting. So we're going to try and tackle uh, four or five of them real quickly. You ready, Marv? Yes, sir. All right. Here's the first one. After watching the Eagles this week, it was very apparent to me that they were very good at moving the ball before they hit the red zone, and then they just hit a huge snag. And the issue is there's no talent on the perimeter. There's no talent on the outside. Carson Wentz is struggling because really he has no one to throw to. Marv, is it time for the Eagles to call up A.B., Antonio Brown? I agree with that. I think it's time. Uh, They won't have Deshaun Jackson for the rest of the season. Um, The other guy they have, I believe, he's very unreliable. I forget his name. Oh, yeah, Aguilar. Aguilar can't catch a break. He can't catch... Can't catch code if he wanted to. So I mean, Marv, need- Marv, we ain't, we ain't out here dropping babies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember just that for, fella. Just, sorry <laughs> to cut you off, Marv, but I had to drop that one in there for the for the people out there. There was a burning building in Philadelphia, and uh, they were actually, I believe, dropping children out of the building to save them from the fire. And uh, the guy was caught on camera in typical Philadelphia fashion after Nelson Aguilar had just dropped a huge ball to lose the game against the Falcons, said, we ain't out here dropping babies like Nelson Aguilar. But go ahead, Marv. <laughs> I apologize. That was just important for everybody to hear. Oh, no, it, it's, that's perfectly good an- analogy. Um, So Aguilar is very unreliable. And so I think A.B. has been practicing. He's been staying in shape. He's been working out in his home down in Miami. So I think that would be perfect match if they go ahead and get A.B., and finish the season with them, it would be perfect because you could just plug him in and he's A.B., he's a Hall of Fame receiver, he's a great player, and he's a competitor, and I think he fits the Philadelphia, what Philadelphia needs. Yeah, this is a team that is very good in the trenches on offensive and defensive lines. They have a uh, healing secondary, so they're getting better. That's one of their biggest weaknesses. They tried and they missed on getting a couple cornerbacks but they need that explosive plays. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. Why does Philadelphia always lose to Dallas? Well, you look into it, it's because they start slow, and once Dallas is up on you, they control the clock, pound the rock with Ezekiel Elliott, and your chances become very slim of beating them, and that's what happens every single time that they play. So how do you offset that? You become more explosive and take the lead in the beginning. Uh, You don't struggle and just kick field goals. How, what's the uh, resolve? What's the solution to that? It's somebody who's quick on the perimeter, somebody who opens up the rest of your targets. They have Zach Ertz, a pro Bowl tight end, and they have some decent receivers, albeit problemed, as Marv said. You have to at least do your due diligence and figure out if you can sign Antonio Brown or not, pending his legal issues. We won't get into that. But if there's any conceivable way that it's uh, acceptable, socially acceptable to sign Antonio Brown, I really think you have to do it. You have to chance the culture in your locker room, which already isn't that great to begin with. It's a lot of veterans, not a lot of impressionable guys like it was in Oakland. It was better for him to be gone in Oakland. But I do believe Philadelphia, noisy, generally speaking, and a little sloppy can handle Antonio Brown and and help build their talent, which they really desperately need. Next, the Jaguars, Marv, after a bad game by Gardner Minshew in London, The Jaguars are notorious for losing to the Texans. The Texans always blow them out, so I don't buy a lot into one bad game. But with that being said, the Jaguars are benching their young quarterback, Gardner Minshew, after a uh, storied run. Gardner Minshew, the most dressed up for Halloween. I'm pretty sure that's a fact. Haven't verified it, but believe it to be true. Um, They're benching Gardner Minshew for Nick Foles. How do you feel about this, Marv? Is this the right move for the Jaguars? I think at the moment, it could be good and bad. And hear me out. The reason is, I mean, you're kind of stunning the growth of Gardner Minshew by benching him this far out in the season. But I understand the Jaguars want to see what they have in Nick Foles. 
And since he's fully healthy, they did invest about $66 million or so in him. So they want to see what they have. And if, of course, the whole Nick Foles experiment fails, they always have a fallback plan to play Minshew, which already has, has valuable experience that he's gained in the first nine games of the season. And so I think I like the, the move only because Minshew in the last two games has been struggling. But, I mean, he's gained a lot of, uh, how I say, he's built a, a good rapport with with the receivers, and I think that could throw off their chemistry. But Foles is a good veteran Super Bowl winning quarterback, so I think maybe he can get plugged in and 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 do well with the Jaguars. So we're going to see in the long run. I think the Jaguars are still in the hunt for a wild card, so this could at the end turn out to be a good move for them if Foles goes back to his uh, old ways in Philadelphia where he was winning games towards the end of the season. Normally, this is around the same time that he took over for the uh, Philadelphia Eagles a few years back when they won the Super Bowl, and then they went on a run and won a few games. So we'll see how it turns out. But uh, do I like the move? Not really. I love Gardner Minshew, but I think it could be for the better. I hear your point, but I'm going to disagree with the idea that it's a good move. I totally understand why you want to see what you got with your quarterback who you paid a lot of money for. But every successful team to me in the NFL has a direction that they're going towards, a goal that they're moving towards. Patriots moving towards Super Bowl. John Harbaugh and the Ravens moving towards this unique offense. Total disasters like the Browns. They have no direction. They're just a bunch of people. They don't know what they're doing. The Jaguars go ahead and trade their star cornerback for future picks. So they're saying our direction is the future. And then they bench their future or, or presumably their, their young quarterback, so potentially their future, for the current. So they're saying we're locking into the present right now. I can very strongly argue that Nick Foles on the open market for teams that need quarterbacks can fetch you a second or third round pick, the salary might make it complicated, but at least you can get an asset for a 32-year-old quarterback uh, in return and start your young quarterback and you can continue this rebuilding process. I believe the Jaguars' position should be that they're a rebuilding franchise and you're sending me mixed messages by benching your young quarterback, who of course is going to struggle. He's going to have bad games, but like you said, it's going to damage his confidence to say, I had one bad game for the rest of his career. He's going to have to be looking over his shoulder to be benched. And that's not the worst thing in the world. Every quarterback should have to look over their shoulder and and keep that attitude that they have to be their best or else someone's going to replace them. So I'm not trying to coddle him. I'm just saying it sends a bad message to your young guy in terms of your belief in his abilities. I would like to see the Jaguars for their franchise move on from Nick Foles, trade him. Somebody's going to give you something and it's going to get the salary off the books. You're not going to owe him as much. He took a risk. It didn't work out. He got injured. You get something back for him rather than probably playing mediocre football. He could be above average, Marv, but he's had that one great season and he's been an average quarterback otherwise, and you already had average at quarterback. So why pay a really expensive average quarterback when you have an average quarterback or maybe better because you don't know it's a young guy for the future on a six-round contract? I don't like the move at all. Um, Next, Kyler Murray. The NFL NFL fandom, I should say, got their first real look at Kyler Murray. The Cardinals are 3-5-1. and one. Is Kyler Murray the real deal? Are these Cardinals the thing of the future? I think Kyler Murray is the real deal. I like what he's doing for, with what he has. I mean, he has a 35-year-old starting wide receiver in Fitzgerald as his number one receiver. Then he has a bunch of guys, a bunch of young guys, who I can't really name off the top of my head right now. Uh, his two starting running backs both have been injured the last few weeks. And then he has been working with the third string quarter running back, which they traded for, I believe, um, a couple of days ago. And then he started out, started on Thursday and had a pretty good game. So basically, Kyler is getting it done, or at least keeping the Cardinals in the games as much as possible with what he has. And He's impressed me enough that I think he is the real deal. And if you keep adding pieces around him, I think he'll be able to be a very successful quarterback. It's just, you know, with time, he's still young. Uh, he's a rookie. 
He has a rookie head coach who's made a few mistakes in play calling and decision-wise that has possibly cost them a few games. They should be, I believe, 4-4-1. Four, four, and one. But um, I like Kyle Murray, and I think he is the real deal. Yeah, they absolutely should be 4-4-1 four, four, and one if their defensive back could catch a ball that hit him right in the hands. Matthew Stafford threw, threw it right to him, and they were in field goal range to kick it and win it if he caught it. But here's the deal. I am all in on Kyler Murray and the Cardinals being the real deal. Shouldn't say all in necessarily, but when I say that, I mean I'm all in on the take that I had previously that Kyler Murray is the Tesla, the Tesla Model 3 to be exact, uh, to be exact, the small compact version of a quarterback. And I'm not 100% sold on electric vehicles being the wave of the future for various reasons, but they're really intriguing and I really kind of want to own one. And um, it's exciting. I've never seen a quarterback throw from so many arm angles. He had like a fadeaway falling down touchdown throw. And not only that, he's very accurate in doing so. You can definitely see that he was a shortstop second baseman. He's throwing from all these different angles and putting it right on the first baseman, if you will, right on the receiver. So there's a lot of translatable skills there. And I applaud uh, the other thing that I'm all in on is I applaud the Cardinals' big swing, and it could potentially still be a miss, but it's looking pretty good. My theory is always take a big risk on your quarterback, hope that he's generational, because if not, you're not you're really not going to win a Super Bowl, as proven by the last 15 years, 13 of 15 won by Pro Bowl Hall of Fame quarterbacks. You're not going to do well without it. They took a risk on a guy who didn't win much in college, but they saw that college offense translating to the NFL. Uh, where the NFL, you have a very equal playing field, if you will, equal pool of talent. He was coaching at Texas Tech. They didn't have the ability to recruit like even Texas in their own state, but like LSU, like Alabama. So a uh, big tip of the cap to the Cardinals management for being futuristic and taking a very big risk that I was very supportive of, even though I didn't know how it was going to work out. And I still don't. I am buying into their position with Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury even more so, and I applaud their uh, bravery and the risk that they've taken to implement that offense and that team because it could have taken a lot of blowback, but sometimes you got to take risks in life. Marv, on to the next. After two bad losses this week, who are you taking going forward? The Packers, who lost badly at the Chargers, or the Vikings, who lost to a backup in Kansas City? I'm taking the... Green Bay Packers, and this is why. Looking at the Packers' uh, remaining schedule, their hardest games are against the Panthers, which is uh, this Sunday. Following week is against the 49ers at 49ers. Then after that, it's a cakewalk. They play the Giants, the Redskins, the Bears, the Vikings, then the Lions. All those teams they should easily beat. I can see them maybe losing one or two more games the rest of the season, and that's it. So I like the the uh, the Green Bay Packers going forward to finish out the season with a better record than the Vikings. Yeah, I think the Vikings have the better roster, but the Packers' loss is less of a concern to me, and I'm going with the Packers going forward. Look, the Green Bay Packers, Green Bay, Wisconsin, end up in Los Angeles, California. Now, let's say you're from a little small town. You wander out to the big city uh, for a work meeting, a work meeting that's not that important because you're already dominating your field. You've already hit your sales quota for the month. And you maybe go out in L.A., get a little distracted, do a little partying because those those, uh, facilities aren't necessarily available to you if you're in Green Bay where it's cold and there's not a lot to do. So that loss concerns me very little. I think it was a very distracted team. I think these 7-1 and one Packers uh, are legit. Now, granted, they've won most of their games, but to your point, their schedule, they play their division. They own their division. So the, the Bears go to Lambeau. That's more or less a freebie. They've got a very easy path. They're going to win the division. The Vikings are a lot of... As, as somebody famous likes to say, fake news. Kirk Cousins' schedule lined up just perfectly. Uh, he is who he is. He doesn't win a lot in primetime or important games. Those are one and the same. 
I do not buy Kirk Cousins and all the talk about him somehow finding his stride now. He just played noon games against bad teams, end of story, and now he lost to a backup. Not not a good look. Uh, last but not least, Marv, Cam Newton is headed to IR as of today. Uh, have we seen Cam's last game as a Panther? I believe so. And the reason I think so is the Panthers look like they're they're going in a different direction. Uh, Cam is going to be worth about $19 million or more next year, at least against the cap. If the Panthers decide to either trade or release Cam Newton, they will save about $19 million against the cap, money they can use to re-sign or keep their defensive players intact and add some weapons on the offensive side so their quarterback or their new young starting quarterback, Kyle Allen, can continue to have success. I like what the Panthers have been doing lately on the field, and I think it is going to be the last time we see Cam Newton in a Panthers uniform. New ownership in Carolina. They're definitely looking to move off of Cam. I agree with you. I wouldn't want him back for a multitude of reasons, and to keep it brief, I won't go into him, but the main reason being he's 0-7 in his last seven games as the Panthers. you got a new ownership group. It's time to move on from Cam Newton. you got a quarterback on an undrafted contract. You can save that 19 mil against the cap and go out and get good players. The quarterback that you have is performing very well, and you will have time and the ability to draft another quarterback to create competition in the in the room there. Cam Newton is highly distracted, much more of a personality than a player. His MVP award-winning season was much of an outlier, as we've discussed on the show before. He's never produced those numbers before, and he hasn't produced them since. His body is unable to heal. I'm completely out on Cam Newton as a Panther and completely out on him as an NFL quarterback. And uh, I believe the Panthers would be wise to move on from him. And I ultimately believe that they will. Marv, we are halfway through the season. I want to get into some mid-season awards here. The first one, who is your MVP this year so far? Alrighty, so my VP is going to be Russell Wilson. I'm really impressed with what he's been accomplishing in Seattle. I did not expect Seattle to be so good this early in the season. Uh, he's been putting up astronomical numbers with what he has. His best receiver is Tyler Lockett, and his tight end got hurt early in the season, which he was also having a good season as well. Um, he has a rookie receiver on the other side. And his running game has been a mix of Carson, and I believe he has another running back there that was drafted in the first round. But he has been, in my, my at least in my opinion, a colossal bust. So I like what Russell Wilson's doing and what he's accomplishing, and I think he is the MVP so far this year in the midseason. Twenty-two touchdowns, one pick. Russell Wilson, five touchdowns last game. Unbelievable. I don't think there's any denying that he's the MVP so far. I like the talk about MVP in Christian McCaffrey, giving it to a running back, but you can't justify that a running back is the most important player on a team. It's just really hard to give most valuable player to anyone but a quarterback. I get the argument. I get the issues. Maybe we should have something like most outstanding player. But when you look at valuable, Russell Wilson is the most valuable player to his team in the NFL right now. So I'm 100% on board. Russell Wilson is also my MVP. Let's not also for, also forget for the future, Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks added Josh Gordon on top of those already blooming weapons. Like you said, he's he's working with a rookie. He's got Tyler Lockett. He's doing what he can with what he's got. But to add that extra element to the offense could be very interesting if Josh Gordon could stay healthy and out of trouble and on the field. Russell Wilson's done a lot more with a lot less talent. So that'll be very interesting to watch going forward. Marv, to continue with the midseason awards, uh, who would you give the award to for the biggest surprise team this year? Who's really impressed you? This one was a tough one, but as I thought it through, I picked the 49ers. They're currently 8-0. They're the only undefeated team in the NFL. Uh, I did not expect them to be this good. Uh, all their pieces started coming together. Uh, Jimmy G is playing pretty decent. Their defense has been playing lights out. Their running game has been pretty well, been doing pretty well. 
And of course, their tight end, all world class tight end, uh, is a monster and no one can guard him. He's basically Gronk on another level. So I like the 49ers as a surprise team of the year. Excellent pick. I'm going to stay in the Bay Area, but I'm going to go with the Oakland Raiders. Look, the Oakland Raiders' schedule was so difficult that the NFL called and apologized to them. The Oakland Raiders, <laughs> to me, at the beginning of the season, before Hard Knocks, I'm like, this team is a dumpster fire. They're a disaster. We we put it on our show. They're going to be 4-12 and at best. Well, look at them now. They already have four wins. Hard Knocks kind of changed my mind because I thought John Gruden didn't really have a direction or a plan, but it's become apparent to me that his team is buying into what they're doing, and they do have a more designed plan now. They're looking to the future, but they're also winning in the present, which is uh, very impressive. I'm very impressed by the Raiders. The 49ers I liked a lot, and they are very impressive. But the Raiders, they're 4-4, four and four, and they're going into the easy stretch of their schedule. They could very well surprise us and become a playoff team. So congratulations to the Raiders, my biggest surprise team this year. Uh, Marv, this is not really an award, but it's something we got to give to somebody. Uh, the most disappointing team this year. Most disappointing team so far has been my Denver Broncos. Now, listen now, Denver Broncos this offseason went out and spent some big money. They went and got a right tackle who has barely played any games. He's barely played like half of a, a quarter. They gave him $55 million, I believe, fully guaranteed. They went out and spent a big money on Joe Flacco. They traded for him to absorb his contract and made his um his deal go from non-guaranteed money to partially guaranteed. Uh, they also went out and signed some other guys, uh, Kareem Jackson and some other guys. So basically the message that John Elway was giving out was, we're going to compete and be a playoff team. Well, after a two and six, well, three and six now after beating the Browns start, Broncos have been a very disappointing team. There's games that they should have won. Of course, you could say, you know, it wasn't their fault. But I do blame Joe Flacco for a lot of it because these were all one-score games, less than three points. Broncos have lost four games, less than one score. So it could have been a 6-3 and three record instead of a 3-6 and six record that we would be looking at. So for now... They're the most disappointing to me team for me at the midway point. I have to go for my most disappointing team. The Browns are too obvious. I wanted to go with them, but that goes without being said, without needing to be said anyways. Uh, but mine is the Falcons. I picked the Falcons to win the uh, NFC South. Some unforeseen circumstances happened with the Saints to boost them. But the Falcons, come on, get it together. One and seven. This is pathetic. They certainly need to fire Dan Quinn, as we discussed a couple episodes ago. It's time to switch leadership because they have a lot of talent. They have an MVP quarterback, a former MVP, and they can't even win a game. It's really sad, and they're very flat, and they're not buying into what they're doing in Atlanta. So it's time to move on, get a new coach, perhaps a new general manager. Falcons, disappointing. This is another award or recognition you don't want, but uh, team trending downward for the second half of the season. Who might that be? My pick is may come as a surprise, but I think the Bills are trending downward. Uh, they've been shaky at best when they came. When it comes to playing good teams, they've lost. They lost to the Patriots, and they lost to the Eagles. Both times. Both games, I believe, were at Buffalo. So I'm still not sold on the Bills. Uh, they play the Browns next, and as Vegas has it, has the Browns as the favorite. I'm talking about the 2-6 and six Browns are favorite to beat the Bills by at least 2.5 points. So that, t- that should tell you, that should be telling enough that even Vegas is not believing in the Bills and they see them trending down. Also. As you look at their schedule, they play the Dolphins, the Broncos, the Cowboys, the Ravens, the Steelers, the Patriots, and then the Jets. So there's potentially four to five. They could potentially go at least three and five in their last last eight games. That's a possibility. 
which would leave them at nine and seven, and that that could leave them out of the playoff hunt. So I think the the Bills will be trending down. Yeah, I definitely have concerns about the Bills. There's not a lot of good quarterback play going on there. Josh Allen, 31st in QBR. I think that's a great pick. They've been uh, they're basically the Bears in the AFC, but they're playing a last place schedule instead of a first place schedule, and it'll come to show itself soon. So I agree with you there. My team trending downward is the Lions. I had a lot of hope for them, Marv. I thought your first uh, you picked them to win the division. I thought they might get close. But at the end of the day, they're the Lions. They're doing what they do. They're three and four. They try to three, four and one, I should say. They try to trade away their veterans, which didn't sit well in the locker room. They were at least listening to calls about them. So that really didn't play well with them. They ended up flat the next game. I don't see a lot going well for them going forward. They still have to play the Packers again and uh, they have to play the Vikings. It's going to be tough for them within the division, let alone outside of it. I do not see the Lions going very far uh, in the upward direction, so I have them trending downward. I want to finish the segment on a positive note. Who is trending upward, Marv? Who gets that award? That's an award. A team trending upward I've been paying attention to the last few weeks is the Pittsburgh Steelers. They're on a little mini win streak. They've won four out of, sorry, they won three out of their last four games. They've won three in a row. And they've done it, you know, in impressive fashion. So I like what the Steelers are doing. They're they're starting to finally get it together. Uh, their schedule doesn't get any harder in the next couple of weeks. I mean, they play the Rams. After that, they put the Browns, the Bengals, then the Browns again, then the Cardinals, then the Bills, then the Jets, and then their hardest game would be the Ravens. So it's a pretty pretty decent schedule, which could leave them to finish. I would say at 10 and 6, which would then mean a wild card possibly in the AFC North, depending on how the Ravens finish the season. So I like what the uh, what the Steelers have going for them, and I think they're the team that's trending upwards for me. To me, the Steelers are inexplicable, but like the Ravens, I have to tip my cap to their ability to be stable. That's one of the best abilities, stability in the NFL. They do not have a lot of talent at quarterback, yet they're 4-4, four and four and they are turning in the upward direction. My team has to be the L.A. Chargers. We wrote them off for dead. They go ahead and go into Soldier Field while the Bears are struggling. That's never an easy place to play against that defense. They come out with a win. They come out and then dominate the Packers and Aaron Rodgers. They are now four and five. The AFC could get one, if not two, teams into the playoffs at nine and seven. I love the Chargers going to the Super, not the Super Bowl, the playoffs. Whoa, whoa, whoa. The playoffs, not the Super Bowl, people. <laughs> um, I like the Chargers going to the playoffs with Phillip Rivers, veteran leadership, as well as that staunch defense. And they got some weapons on the perimeter. They got Melvin Gordon running free again. I really like the Chargers as much as I liked them at the beginning of the season, once again. All right, everyone. We've approached the hour mark, but we don't want to end just yet. Marv's been hot on his picks on the spread. So he's 14, 10, and 1 in the last five weeks. That's just over 58% of his game. So bottom line, if you're betting with Marv, you're making money. And uh, Marv, I have to give you an extra compliment. 55% or better is usually what the pros are at. So not too much pressure on you, Marv, but you're killing it. Let's keep it rolling. Give us your number one pick for the week. My number one pick for the week is the Chiefs. I like them to cover the minus three and a half at Tennessee. The Titans, they play better at home. But come on, man. The Titans don't put up points, and the Chiefs are doesn't matter who they put at quarterback. They're going to put up points, and I think they should beat the Titans at least by a touchdown or more. And there's, you know, it's a, it's a little cloudy who's going to be the starting quarterback this weekend because they never rule out Patrick Mahomes until the last second. But he's already missed the last two games. And so I think the Chiefs, if he practices this week and plays, they'll blow out the Titans. If he doesn't play, they'll still cover the three-and-a-half-point spread. I love the pick of the Chiefs. We have to take into account that that three-and-a-half number is built in with the uncertainty of Patrick Mahomes. Uh, will he play? Will he not play? Now, what I had heard from Jay Glazer is that, and I don't have it in front of me because it was on the pregame show uh, earlier this week, 
But a doctor went ahead on record saying that if he had played last week, there would have been a 50% chance of him re-dislocating that knee, whereas playing, giving it another week's worth of rest puts him down to about a 10% chance. So I think we can expect him to play. So if you can get that three-and-a-half number, go ahead and book it. But with that being said, with uh, Matt Moore playing, the Chiefs have scored 30, 24, 26. As Marv said to his point, the Chiefs, not the Chiefs, the Titans do not put up points. The Chiefs put up points. That's an average of about 26 points there. So that is an excellent number when you're facing a weak, inept Tennessee Titans team. That may be tough on Tennessee, and they do surprise at times. But Ryan Tannehill and a bunch of guys I don't even know on their roster, forget it. Book the Chiefs to cover the three and a half. That's an easy one. The uh, next pick of the week, Marv, who do you have at number two? This one, a lot of people may give me grief for. It's, it's understandable because this is a team that's disappointed all season. But I'm taking the Jets plus two and a half at home versus a team that's equally as bad, the New York Giants. Uh, it's basically a neutral game because they're playing in the same stadium they both play. So I like the Jets to bounce back and to hopefully, I mean, they don't have to win. They just got to cover two and a half. But I think they should be able to beat the Giants at home. Marv, I'm going to have to give you slight disagreement on this one just for the fact that at the current moment, at the current juncture of the season, the New York Jets are a dumpster fire. I'm not giving up on Sam Darnold. I'm not giving up on their future. But we have to look at what's transpired this season. They let the general manager, the previous general manager, run this draft. And then they fired him knowing that they were going to fire him before the draft, but they let him make the draft picks anyways. So now this new general manager doesn't want any of those players. He tried to trade all his acquisitions at the trade deadline just last week. It's created an environment of hostility and instability in the building that is personified in the fact that for some reason, Greg Williams works as defensive coordinator, but the head coach, Adam Gase, doesn't like him. I don't understand why. But they do not get along. They do not talk. These players are unfocused. So I think the Jets will stabilize and Sam Darnold will perform well next year. We got a little ahead of ourselves saying, oh, wait a second, maybe this year after the Cowboy game. I just don't want to touch this game. I'm going to have to disagree. The Giants are much more stable. Daniel Jones has made mistakes. But they have that great running game and a good young quarterback looking pretty good. They might get Sterling Shepard back as well. So I wouldn't say I'd take the Giants, but I disagree with the play. Marv, your third pick, please. My third pick is the Arizona Cardinals. As we mentioned earlier, I like what Kyler Murray has been doing. I think they'll be able to put up points with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Buccaneers struggle at home. They don't win many games at home. For some reason, they play better away than they do at home. So I think the Cardinals, I mean, I think it's going to be a close game, and I think the Cardinals can cover that four points. Yeah, and watching both teams this week, you bring up a great point, by the way, before I get into that. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers have not won at home this season, which is crazy to me. tells me when the expectations are off and they are free and loose, Jameis isn't overthinking things. He doesn't turn the ball over. But when he gets at home and things are a little bit more on script and there's a little bit more expected and a little bit more demanded, he makes those mistakes. We're going to see mistakes from Jameis. I can't remember a time in his career where he doesn't turn the ball over two games in a row. I like the Cardinals like we talked about, like what I watched last week. I like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, what I watched last week. But again, that's not happening two weeks in a row. You get the Cardinals and you get four points. I like the Cardinals to win outright, but give me the four points. That's an easy one. Marv, give us pick number four. Big winner, please. Pick number four. This one was a tough one. You know how much I dislike this team, but I got to go with the smart pick. And I'm taking the Dallas Cowboys minus three at home, primetime versus the Vikings. Of course, we know Captain Kirk Cousins never plays well in primetime. So three points, Cowboys at home. They're right now trying to run on a, on a, they're on a, riding high, I'm sorry, excuse me, on a winning streak. So they're trying to keep their lead above the Eagles and stay away from the Eagles. So I, I, three points is nothing. They should be able to beat the, the Vikings at home. 
This is going to be the biggest agreement of the week for me, Marv, with you. Uh, I love the Cowboys, and it's not so much that I love the Cowboys. I just love the number with the Cowboys, and they happen to be playing Kirk Cousins, who has a 38% uh, win percentage in prime time. Kirk Cousins at noon or the 1 o'clock game is a different quarterback than Kirk Cousins with the bright lights and the big cameras on him. The Cowboys are hot. The Cowboys have a better roster, although barely. They have the better quarterback. They have the better everything. Go Cowboys. They only have to win by three points. Love them here. Definitely put your money down on that. And like Marv, don't let your feelings get in the way. If you don't like the Cowboys, money's money. It doesn't have any feelings. It's just paper. Marv, your fifth and final winner for the week, please. As we mentioned earlier, this team has the possible MVP of the season, and they're getting six points versus my surprise team, which is the 49ers. I'm taking the Seahawks plus six. There's no way that the 49ers are going to beat the Seahawks by more than the touchdown. I don't see it. Uh, the Seahawks play well, especially in divisional games. And Russell Wilson is going to put up a good fight. There's no way they're losing by six. If they lose, it'll be a closer battle. But also, I don't believe the 49ers are going to be undefeated the whole season. This is going to be their toughest test of the season. As we saw last week, they barely beat the Cardinals by three, even though it was a 10-point spread. This week, they're getting six points. No way that uh, the Cardinals, I'm sorry, no way the Seahawks lose to the 49ers by six. I think Seahawks could even win this game at the way they've been playing lately. So I'm taking the Seahawks plus six. Big agreement. What I'd like to do is just say, Russell Wilson, and you're getting six points, mic drop, if you could hear that, and then walk away. But this is not a rap battle. This is a professional analyst of sports. Analyzation, I guess, is the particular word that we're looking for. Um, so I'll get into the details. San Francisco 49ers, they, like I said, I love the 49ers in the last episode, but this team is not going undefeated. We have to pump the brakes on them. I have to say Jimmy G did show us something that we hadn't seen before in the last game. That was against the Cardinals. I'm so impressed with the Cardinals because their, how shall I say it, their players, their roster is not very good, and they're very much overperforming thanks to the coaching staff, the details, and Kyler Murray. So when you give me Russell Wilson, the Seahawks, and Pete Carroll, and six points, don't even have to win, just have to lose by six or less. Give me the Seahawks all day. That's an easy one, Marv. You are on fire with me and with the public and with the world. Keep killing it. 14, 10, and 1 in the last five weeks. Marv is winning you money if you're betting with Marv. So keep it up on the good work there. That is the end of the show. Thank you all for listening. Again, wherever you may be listening, we'd really appreciate you leaving a review. That's only if you like it. If you don't like it, please just turn us off. <laughs> Thank you very much. No, but seriously, we really appreciate you guys listening. We'll keep the news coming. Enjoy the week of football. We're going to have a lot of good stuff. We, we don't talk a lot of college because it's so regional, but don't forget LSU and Alabama are on this week. It's going to be the game of the, of the year in college football up until the playoffs, the regular season game of the year. Then we got great football starting Thursday night, Sunday, and Monday. Marv, do you have anything for the people? Thank you so much for listening to us, guys. Make sure to give us some reviews. Uh, if you guys want to interact with us, make sure to hit us up on Twitter. We're always on there, and we will respond to you promptly. Thank you, guys. All right. Thanks again, guys, and we will see you next week. Make it a good one.